very awkward positioning because the way my mic is set up right now, I can't really look at you while I'm talking to you. It's okay. We'll be fine. Happy Mother's Day. No, me to you. Happy Mother's Day. What the hell? (laughs) Sorry. So if you don't know us already, my name is Shannon and this is my daughter. Chloe. And we have been doing true crime podcasts on and off for a couple of years. Uh, Really haven't done it a lot lately because Chloe is older. She has a full-time job. She's living out of the house. And um, even though we love to do it, it's It's been hard hard. to find the time, right? I'm tired. Chloe is a fabulous hairstylist. Yes, I am. I'm so good. Um, Epic at color. No, No, yeah, she really Um, is. She's always busy. No, but it's it's a fun job. It's just, you know, you're on your feet all day, so it's kind of exhausting. It is. Exhausting. It is. So we have renamed the podcast. It is called True Crime Family Time. Because, Which is cute. Yeah, very cute. And that's because we love to just get together and talk about true crime cases all the time. So that's I'm excited about it. Yeah, that's literally like. all we talk about. We send each other things about all it. All the time. Yeah. TikToks. Yes. All, all of the crime. So crazy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So today... Seeing as how it's Mother's Day and we were leading up to this, I'm going to tell you the story of Candy Montgomery. Have you heard anything about this yet? Me? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I, well, I, wa- I watched a little bit of the series. Okay. Kind of fell asleep through half of it. So I understand the, the, basics. the basics, but I'm fully prepared for the details. Okay, awesome. So it is a crazy story and there are two docudramas out Right now, Candy was on Hulu last year. Love and Death is on HBO Max right now. They are both good, but Love and Death really, really goes by the book, Evidence of Love, which is the true story that was written by authors and investigative journalists, John Bloom and Jim Atkinson. They interviewed everybody. They interviewed Candy, Alan Gore, Betty's parents, Pat Montgomery, their family, all their friends were interviewed for this book. And this book has so many awesome details if you want to go read it. It's hard to get all the details into a podcast. I did my best, but it is phenomenal. And Love and Death is like specific, goes by every bit of it. So it is a actual true story that they are telling. It's really, really good. You killed it. You did a ton of research. I'm very excited. Yes. There's several pages over there. There's more than several several pages times. It's like, like you, five. you, you. I mean, I feel like when you take the time, like yeah. you give yourself time to do it, you really enjoy the research part of it. I do. Which reminds me of the Morbid Girls. Yes, how they Elena. do, and that's actually inspiration for me because my ADD wants me to just too. dive right into the story, and I don't do enough research. I really tried my best this time, so I'm super excited about it. Yay. All right, you ready? I'm ready. Okay, my sources this time were Evidence of Love, the book, which is amazing, Wikipedia. I listened to the podcast Crime Writers On, episode entitled Candy. It was awesome. Love that podcast, too. And for some of the quotes, I got those from Texas Monthly Magazine and Dallas Morning News. All right, let's go. Wiley, Texas, June 13th, 1980 which happened to be Friday the 13th, which is terrifying, by the way. Alan Gore has been trying to get a hold of his wife, Betty, for the better half of the day, and he was getting super worried. 
Alan's away on business, so he calls a neighbor and asks him to please go check on her. The neighbor checks super fast and says, hey, nobody's home. I knocked on the door. One of the cars is gone. She must be out. Maybe she went somewhere. Alan does not think that's the case. However, Betty, she, I don't know, and I think I say this later on, but she's kind of an odd bird. She really wouldn't leave the house without him, especially at night. She's what? very clingy to him. So he doesn't think that she's just gone for the night. Because she wouldn't do that. No, she definitely wouldn't do that. That's like when when there's like kidnappings or something and the and the police are like, oh, they just ran away. Yeah, and you're like, no, I know. I know that that would I happen. know them. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, I know. He continues to call the house throughout the afternoon. The phone just rings and rings. He's actually very worried that Betty has hurt herself. They have a baby. So on top of the exhaustion she's been struggling with, she's also had a lot of depression and anxiety for years. Um, so it's getting pretty late. He's getting very nervous. He calls the neighbor again. Please check on her. Get into that house however you have to do it. I'm very worried. He also calls a few no- more neighbors. They kind of meet up in the street and walk over to the Gore home. Why wouldn't you just do a wellness check? Because it's like 1980. What is it? What did I say? 1980? 1979? That's still... What? I think they had wellness checks. But at that time, you don't want to worry anybody in your neighborhood. So you're just going to call a neighbor to run over and just check. Right? right. I guess so. Okay. They all head over to the Gore home. And when they realize that the car has been there all along... It had just been pulled up really far, so he didn't see it at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all feel a chill in the air, and something feels off about the house. Oh, so they go, Yeah, very. They go to the front door, and it's unlocked, which is crazy. The three men head into the house and slowly walk around trying to figure out what is going on. They're calling out for Betty it's eerily quiet until all of a sudden they hear a baby screaming. So they have kids. They have kids. They have two girls. One is Alyssa. The baby is Bethany. Okay. So they hear a baby screaming. Um, they quickly find baby Bethany, the Gore's youngest daughter, crying and covered in like poopy diaper mess. Aww. She's red faced. And lethargic, and the men are absolutely shocked. So one of them takes Bethany over to his wife and tells her to stay inside, lock the door. So they all continue to look around How the Gore home. How long was the baby left there? You'll see. Oh my God, that breaks my. See, I stuff know. like that, I can't. Like, Mm-mm. if you're going to kill somebody, at least, like, okay, not yeah. at least. Don't do it in general. Yeah, no, no. But, like, if you're going to murder somebody, if, at, at least, least get their baby out of the house, guys. No, but, like, you know, if <laughs> if you had to kill somebody, yeah. you're just going to leave their children like defenseless. It's absolutely That's terrible. Awful. It is. It's terrible. So they look all around the Gore home. And then after noticing blood in the bathroom, they know it's bad. The very last place they look is the utility room. They open the door, very quickly shut it again, only glimpsing an enormous amount of blood spattered oh everywhere and a body on the floor the men at first think betty has been shot so when they call 911 that's what they tell them they immediately call 911 and the authorities descend on the gore home chief abbott of wiley takes a look at betty's body and immediately calls in sheriff deputies investigator steve defabaugh 
He's an expert in photography evidence, corpses in particular, that defense attorneys hate to have in court because that's how good he is. He can find like minute detail uh-huh. in his photographs and defense lawyers hate it. What a cool job. Yeah. I think that I mean, would be a very scary job. A really <laughs> scary job. Yeah. Like I feel like it would be really taxing on your mental health. Yeah. But. You've got to be able to compartmentalize you, I think, extremely yeah, you would, well. You would just have to be like in a lot of therapy. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. It's very. Uh, I think it would be very scary. So. When Defaba arrives, he's super upset to see that this is a mess of a crime scene. It's overrun with people, both inside and outside of the home, and both inside and outside of law enforcement, which means people were walking around the house, like friends, people like that, just trampling over vital evidence that could have been saved. It's yeah. not good. It's right. not good. The, the crime scene's already a mess. So he's thinking a lot, a lot of the evidence is going to be ruined. Even so, he walks in, begins photographing Betty's body. Defabaugh tells someone to call in Dr. Irwin Stone ASAP. So Dr. Stone, who has a PhD, not an actual medical doctor's degree, does not work with any police department. He is, however, the chief of... Let me get my note. Chief of Physical Evidence at the Dallas Institute of Forensic Science. And he is very good at his job. Law enforcement gets to work processing the scene. And even though the scene itself was not preserved very well, they do find a pile of evidence, including blood samples, hair samples, a small shoe print, and a bloody fingerprint on the freezer in the utility room. Wow, good on them. Mm-hmm. It always blows my mind. Like, do they go through like every inch of the house and just like? I think they try to. Take? I think they try to zone in on where they think the crime took place and kind of extend out from that a little bit. So they saw blood in the bathroom and obviously the utility room, a mess. Right. So they really concentrated on those areas, from what the book said. So crazy time. the small shoe print throws them a bit. Well, and they Betty probably, Gore, thought it was a, they what? probably thought it was a man. They, I'm sure they had. I mean, no what idea. would you assume if you came in and found a woman just basically floating in her own blood on the floor? I immediately think of some psychopathic man. No, oh, I mean, of, of course, it's very rare. I mean, statistically, that yeah. women do crime like exactly. a really aggressive crimes like yeah. usually if a woman kills somebody they do it because women are good and yeah. they do things cleanly like uh poison yeah <laughs> they would like poison them oh or God, like something like that but with yeah with the amount of aggression because she does stab her right yeah. yeah no listen betty gore has in fact not been shot she was hit with an axe oh. 41 times yeah, yeah. So I would definitely walking into that first instinct would be probably sexual assault and mm-hmm. that she was murdered by a man. Yeah. That was really like maybe an affair or something like that. Yeah. They were lucky they had such great cops on the on their little team there. Absolutely. So you know, they're at first thinking this is a psychopathic man on the table had been like she was reading a newspaper maybe and the ad was for the movie The Shining which had just come out. So at first the sheriff's like this has got to be some kind of cult thing. Mm. They all thought <laughs> yeah. that in the 80s. Everything was a cult thing. So 
they just don't know who would have done this, who would have murdered her in such a horrific way and then left her poor baby to scream and cry for just hours, hours. and hours and hours. It's heartbreaking. Well, her husband was out of town, yes. which is very convenient. Mm-hmm. That's why I think, like, from what I know from the story, my, like, prediction would be maybe they were sleeping together. Mm. Candy and her husband. Yeah. Because why else? I just don't get it. it I can't wrap my head around it, you know? All right. Well, we're going to learn about Candy right now. Okay, Slay. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go back to 1977. Pat and Candy Montgomery have just moved to Collin County, Texas with their two children. They live out in the country near several small towns like Wiley. They join the local Methodist Church of Lucas where a woman named Jackie is the pastor. And as a matter of fact, the church is pretty much run by the women and the congregation, which really appealed to Candy. And she so and Jackie, like she and Pastor women. Jackie actually become best friends. Oh, Pastor like, Jackie. Pastor Jackie's awesome. So is pastor, pastor is the same for women and men. Like the word pastor. Yeah. Not It's not a pastoress. No. <laughs> I, I don't, I've never heard of a pastress. I don't know. I would just, like to create that name. I think it sounds cool. It's just weird that we have some words yeah. that are. Well, like a waiter and a waitress. Yeah. Pastor. Pastress. Just a pastor. Just a pastor. While attending this church, Candy and Pat become friendly with Alan and Betty Gore, who are also members, and they are in the church choir together. They're not particularly close, as according to testimony, Betty is an odd bird. She's an elementary school teacher. She's extremely strict to the point that some of her students on Halloween egged her house. So So she's just the worst. She's not a popular. (laughs) Betty is not popular. Do you want to hear something crazy really quick? Yes. Sidetrack. So you know how like people will egg people's cars? Mm -hmm. Um, So I learned the other day that it is like the worst car damage that you can possibly have to your car because it takes the paint off. off. I didn't know that. It's crazy. It is. How did you learn this? Did someone egg your car? No, no one egged my... God, I wish somebody would egg my car. It's so gross already. He's got a terrible car. I have a terrible car. (laughs) There's not even AC. The AC is broken. We're going to have to get it fixed (laughs) at some point. Um, Michael, uh, my friend, my best friend, Samantha, her boyfriend Mm -hmm. um, got his car egged. (gasps) And it was like a brand new car he just bought. And it is destroyed. Like there's, it, it took all the paint oh, off. That sucks. That's it's crazy. Very expensive too. All right. So she, that's how bad she is. She got her car egged by these elementary aged kids who did not like her. That's funny. So she also doesn't socialize a lot, which is mentioned many times. And I'm like, wait, like me? Because I also no, don't socialize like a lot. No, it sounds like she's kind of a bitch. Uh, she may have been, but let's not speak ill of the dead. Are you kidding me? Just kidding. So, Betty and Candy aren't great friends. However, Alan and Candy play on the church volleyball team together. And a chance encounter between the two at a volleyball match leads to an affair. Oh, they did? Which ultimately... Oh, did you not get that in the beginning? Ultimately leads to the horrible ending of Betty's life. Okay, so then my theory was Mm -hmm. just... Right. Yeah, I mean, they definitely had an affair. Oh, I thought I was like, oh, my God, so smart. (laughs) Oh, my God. And everybody's like, we already knew that. Yeah, why didn't you tell me that? I don't know. 
Let me look like I'm waiting idiot. for you to hear the story. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm not very patient. Can you tell how ADHD we both are? I passed that on to her. It's crazy. By the way. Sorry. Maybe okay. we should name our podcast ADHD, ADHD is our personality. ADHD slay. <laughs> That'd be funny. All right. Uh, 1978. Candy Montgomery is bored. She is bored with her husband. She is bored with her life as a homemaker. And she's a little jealous of Pastor Jackie's new romance. Pastor Jackie has recently been divorced and is now in the dating game. So Candy decides she would like to have an affair. She literally decides. What? She makes this decision without even knowing who that person would be. Uh, she does share this with her BFF, Pastor Jackie. And Pastor Jackie. Pastor Jackie's like, mm, I don't think that's a good idea. Let's not do that. Wait, so Pastor Jackie's like kind of messing around with like all these different guys? No, just one. She had a boyfriend. She'd been divorced. She's dating. And Candy sees that beginning part of dating, which is so exciting and fun. And she wants that for herself, even though she's married with kids. Oh, my God. <laughs> Candy. Get it together, Candy girl. girl. Oh, my, oh my God. God. But one night at volleyball, oh. Alan Gore bumps into Candy. She feels a spark. She is such a weirdo. Good God. <laughs> Listen to this. This is hilarious. Um, and this seems like an odd choice of romantic partner for her. Because according to Texas Monthly Magazine, Alan is a... Quote, small, plain man with horn rim glasses and puffy cheeks. <laughs> so Jesus. Jeez Louise. I hope nobody ever describes me like that. Puffy cheeks. Yes. And Damn. So, like, it's a small, plain man with puffy cheeks. They did him dirty, but. They did. Look, he. I have seen no. pictures of him, and he is not a looker, that's for sure. No. no. He is not. Um, yeah, he's just uh, anybody's type. He's not I a handsome think. fella. Yeah. So Candy approaches Alan in his car one night and says, Would you be interested in having an affair? <laughs> he is stunned and says, uh, I'll think about it. <laughs> what? <laughs> Chloe, she asked him, Straight would up. Would you be interested in having an affair with me? I find you attractive. Why would you find him attractive? He is I not cute at all. Can and I tell you a story? Please. Okay. When I was in college, I uh, worked at a sports radio station because I, I thought that that's what I was going to do yes, with my life. Yes. I was going to be on the sports radio forever. Now, do I love sports? No. So I love the sports Tucker is in, my son, but I don't love sports. I don't know why I thought I'd be a sports um, like radio person. It is or, quite a weird It's um, very odd. But anyway, I worked you. there for a bunch of years and I loved it. And towards the end of my time there, this man started also co-hosting with the guy I worked with, and then I was just the intern. And this guy had been like a football player in the NFL. Cannot for the freaking life of me remember his name, but he was quite a bit older than me at that time. He was like in his thirties, and I was twenty. So damn girl. One day, no, not damn girl. No, uh -oh. he's married. Oh. And then one day he emailed me. Oh. Hey. I think you're really cute. Would you want to start an affair? <laughs> Why? Why? It's like, what? That's so weird. No. Absolutely not. First of all, you were like 100 years old to what me at that terrible. time. terrible. Second of all, you are married and you have children. What on God's green earth? And why are you emailing this? That's so How weird. How do you even get your freaking email? That's so weird. 
What did you say? Did you have to see him in the office? No, I had I had not gone back. Like, did I was done for that year. I emailed him back. That is awful, and you're a terrible person. Did you ever tell his wife? I didn't know his wife. I didn't know I, even how to get a hold of her at that time. How how bizarre of a question to ask. Yeah. So, Kenny's a weirdo like that guy was. Yeah. Um, It's very weird. So, he says he'll think about it. They actually meet several more times to strategize how this affair would even go. They made pros and cons lists. They made rules. Uh, For example, if either of us develops actual feelings, we need to stop immediately. We'll only use motels outside of town, um, et cetera. They had rules like that. She She would make their lunches so they'd have more time together. At the time, uh, okay. Alan Gore had a two-hour lunch break. Who has a two-hour lunch break? My my roommate has a two-hour lunch break. What? Okay, but she does work, like, she'll work, like, 10 to 10. Well, yeah. This is a 9 to 5 like regular- job with a two-hour lunch break that gave him enough time to leave work, go to another town to a hotel, Damn. have a um, afternoon a afternoon delight with candy, and then take a shower and come back. Afternoon delight. Gross. Uh, I know. It is gross. Ew. He's yucky. He is yucky. I hate him. So finally, in December of 1978, the affair begins. It's really not fireworks, according to Candy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe she could have chosen better. It is a combination, she said, of excitement, sneaking around, having a secret, and the companionship. They evidently talked a lot. They talked on the phone. What? Candy made lunches for them. She would leave treats on his car with little notes when he was at work. And this affair lasted for 10 months. So she really liked him then. I think she did. I I don't know. I just think maybe she didn't feel connected to her husband. And for some reason, she and Alan really talked a lot. But if you hop on over to Alan and Betty's marriage, the the same thing as Pat and Candy. They're not connected or talking a lot. It's just weird, you know? Yeah. So they kind of both need this, like, weird... Mm Mm-hmm. So Betty gets pregnant. And oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And Alan ultimately ends the affair. At first, Candy's like, why are you ending this affair? Uh, we're, it's going so well. And he said, Betty's pregnant. He wants to give his all to the marriage. And as a matter of fact, he and Betty were going to be going to something called marriage encounters. What? Uh, marriage encounters, from what I understand... It's a faith-based couples retreat, but it was heavily in the Methodist church. It was a big deal. You would go away for the whole weekend and just, it was based on a lot of communication, connecting. Like, they would go to their hotel rooms. There's no television, no outside anything. You just go and just really have to talk to each other the whole time. rehab. Yeah, basically. So Betty and Alan evidently really reconnected during this time and came back stronger than ever. Betty even became a marriage encounters group leader. The couples involved met weekly. Do you think I, she knew at this point? No. No. Okay. He, he has not told her. So my, he says radical honesty, but uh, he definitely did not tell her about the affair at all. So are Candy and Betty friends at this point? They are friends, but I would say friendly. Like, like acquaintances? Uh, Betty's daughter, Alyssa, the oldest one, is 
best friends with Candy's daughter, so they have a lot of sleepovers. So they okay. see each other like that, you know. Okay, so just like in passing, they wouldn't like hang out together. I don't think they hung out a whole lot. They might have had some dinners together or things like that. Um, and one, I think I don't know if it was in this one, and I don't recall this in the book, so I'm not sure if this was accurate. But maybe it was. It showed Candy giving Betty a baby shower. Oh, wow. Which is truly icky, considering. That is super yuck. Consider Okay, Raquel. That's exactly what that is. Literally. Vanderpump rules. Literally. Rachel vibes. I hate it. Her name is not even Raquel. It's no, it's Rachel. not. It is Rachel. And we will call her Rachel. And we will. So, normally I don't care. If you want to change your name, change your name. But I will not call her Raquel anymore. Hate her. I hope everybody that is listening to this podcast understands Vanderpump rules. Because otherwise, you're going to be lost. Go watch it. You'll figure it out. <laughs> All right. So this whole thing was evident to Candy. And even though she acted happy for them, she was evidently really hurt about it. She had told Alan that she'd fallen for him, et cetera, et cetera. So Candy actually goes out and has another affair during this time. It is short-lived. She grows bored of it quickly. She thought that maybe she and Pat should try marriage encounters now. <laughs> and they do. They go to marriage encounter. And mm-hmm. for a little period of time, things are really good. But, it, you know, as usual, life gets in the way. So at some point, Pat does find the letter that evidently Alan wrote to Candy to break it off with her. And he's stunned. He had no clue about the affair, nor does he have any clue about the other affair. And then he goes and actually ends up taking the blame for it. um, Because he says he just was not being attentive enough to Candy. And that's why she went and had an affair. It's crazy. That's crazy. Wow. I don't like it. That's insane. I don't like it, babe. All right. Babe. So everybody kind of gets back to normal. I mean, the affairs are over on both ends and things are going normally. Betty has her baby. She's very exhausted. As we said before, she struggled with depression and anxiety over the years. And having a new baby, I can tell you, is very, very difficult under the best of circumstances, much less if you are dealing with postpartum, depression, things that they definitely didn't talk about a whole lot in the 70s and 80s. They were trying to keep it from you so you could have more babies. Yeah, exactly. Just keep having babies. It's fine. So weird. <laughs> and Candy's day was going to be a busy day. June 13th, 1980, she had Alyssa Gore over to stay the night with her own daughter. They are best friends. And they decided to have her over one more night so they could all go see a movie together that night as a family and with Alyssa. That means Candy has to take all the kids to VBS that morning, swing by the Gores to grab Alyssa's swimsuit for her swim lesson, run to Target and grab Father's Day cards for Pat, and then head back to the church to the volunteer lunch and to see the end of the week VBS program. And then taking Alyssa to her swim lesson, then getting them all changed to meet Pat in the movies, and it's just going to be a very crazy busy day. Right. Okay, so she heads to Betty's around 10 a.m., She runs in, asks Betty's permission for the extra sleepover and movie, and she says yes. They chat for a bit. Candy plays with their new puppy, Cheeto. Aw. I know. And right as she's going to leave, Betty says, are you having an affair with Alan? Oh, shit. And Candy says, no, of course not. And Betty says, liar. But you were. And Candy says, 
It was a long time ago, Betty. It's over. Oh, man. Betty excuses herself from the table they were sitting at and heads into the utility room. She comes back with an axe. Oh, perfect. How did she know that was there? No, this is Betty. Wait. Betty grabbed the axe. Oh. Not Candy. Are we sure? Yes. Okay, I will preface this by saying this is Candy's version of events, okay? This is her version. We don't have Betty's version to have, and we will never know what the truth is. What I'm saying is what I got from the book, about interviews with her. This is what Candy's she version is. She is okay? full of yeah. shiitake. So Betty comes back with an axe. <clears throat> she tells Candy, I don't want you to ever see him again. And Candy says, of course I won't. It's a long time ago. But under the circumstances, I'll just bring Alyssa straight home after VBS. And Betty says, no, I don't want to see your face again today. Just bring her home tomorrow. I'll go grab the peppermints for her because she would give her a peppermint as a reward for dunking her face under the water because she didn't like it. And she said, um, and Candy, if you'll grab her swimsuit off of the washer in the utility room. So they get all the stuff. Candy's about to leave. And she looks at Betty's face. And she said, Betty just looked so sad and broken. I touched her arm and said, oh, Betty, I'm just so, so sorry. No, you're not. (laughs) You're so full of it. And something snaps within Betty. She pushes Candy hard into the utility room. She grabs the axe swings it at candy and a battle for life and death begins crazy in the end betty is dead on the floor of the utility room hit 41 times with the axe did candy get hurt at all yes candy is done she has injuries as well a cut on her head from the axe being jerked up and her little toe had a very deep gash from the axe almost basically cutting her toe off in a daze. She walks into the bathroom. She gets in the shower to clean off the blood, like full clothed. And the house is deadly quiet as she leaves. Candy heads straight home, washes the clothes she has on, switches her shoes, takes another shower, redresses in the clothes she already had on when they're dry, and heads back to church very late for the end of the week program and lunch. When she arrives at the church, Candy has calmed herself down and states the same story I'm about to tell you to anyone who asks where she's been. Well, I got to talking with Betty, then ran to the Target, and when I realized my watch had stopped, so I didn't even go in. I just turned around and came home. Oh, my God. So that's what her version of events is. She gathers her kids and Alyssa, who is Betty's daughter, takes her to swim lessons, heads home. Then they all meet Pat for a movie and return home a perfectly busy and normal day. So we're back to the grisly discovery of Betty's body by the neighbors. Alan speaks with law enforcement and finds out that Betty was not shot. It was horrific death by axe instead. The axe thing, That's dude. just so scary it's to so me. Crazy. It's scary to me because it's an axe. And oh, it's scary to me because it's Friday the knife. 13th. And it's just so shocking. It's just weird. It's almost like she, I feel like she may have planned it a little bit like that. No. I don't know. Just to scare people. Maybe. She's a psycho, like for real. It's really scary. One of the first people Alan calls is Candy to let her know and ask her to keep Alyssa another day or two more. 
And Candy's like, oh, Alan, that's so awful. Is Bethany okay? Are you kidding me? And he says, yeah, Bethany's totally fine. Like I said, a lot of evidence is found. Are you kidding me? I know. With that? I know. Law enforcement begins interviewing anyone of interest. This includes Alan. They're able to at least rule him out from physically being there. Because he had been out of town. I know. I know. He had been out of town. He eventually confesses about the affair with Candy. And given the small shoe print they found, they hone in on Candy pretty quickly. That's really cool that they Um, did that so quick. I know. That they went with woman despite... Honestly, she was a small woman. Like physically being able to do that 41 times is very taxing. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So she refuses a polygraph at first, but the evidence is stacked up against her. Candy is arrested 10 days after Betty's murder. During the strip search upon entering the jail, lots of bruising and cuts are found more evidence of the recent physical struggle. Before the arrest, Candy had retained civil personal injury attorney Don Crowder, who was a friend from church. Now, Don is a big personality, but he has never even done a criminal case before. But Why he- would she have him <laughs> do her case if he's know. never done one before? I don't know. They oh knew him God. from church. She, so she insists he does it, insists on it. Because she trusts him. She went there in the middle of the day, mm-hmm. had her shoes on, left fingerprints, left her footprint, aggressively murdered someone, left a t- crying child there, and mm-hmm. now she's hiring some random wacko that she knows to do her court case. That's crazy. It is crazy. Don insists on hiring a proper defense attorney as well, though, a young gun Dallas attorney named Robert Udishin. Don and team get Candy bailed out and begin to put together her defense. First thing that he needed to get Candy to tell him the truth of what happened. Cause up until now she has been strongly denying it. She finally came clean, claiming self defense. So they also decide that Candy needs to see a psychologist, ASAP, to rule out mental things and sociopathy. how do you say that? So sociopathy? I'm like not a sure. Sociopath. Yeah. Um, kind of to rule those things out. Um, right. This doctor, Dr. Fred Faison, specializes in hypnotherapy, taking wow. his patients back through traumatic events to get to the root of issues. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So he takes her under hypnosis and walks Candy through the day she killed Betty. And she has continued to claim self defense. At a certain point during the struggle, she said she snaps. Out of the need to fight for her life, she says she gets the axe back and hits Betty 41 times. Outside of so her... I uh, know, right? It's like an overkill. It it's is overkill. overkill. Absolutely. 110%. Outside of her survival instinct, what led to the overkill? One word that became the center of this case, and it's not even a real word. <laughs> Shh. What? <laughs> That's the word. What? Okay. Candy claims the shh spoken by Betty made her snap. So Dr. Faison puts her under hypnosis again and asks Candy to go back to a time when 
she heard this sh- and had felt a rage that she couldn't control. Right. And she goes back to this memory of she had gotten hurt on the playground. She'd cut her head open and she was having to go to the hospital to get stitches. And she was crying. She was very little mm-hmm. crying because it hurt. And the whole time her mother kept saying, shh, what will the people in the waiting room think you're carrying on like this? Oh, my God. Even as she's getting stitched up. And crying, her mother is continuing to shush her and not letting her cry or anything because she's very worried about what the people in the waiting room will think about her daughter. Well, sure, yeah. Well, damn. (laughs) I know. That's crazy. What kind of mother are you? I know. She's evidently very controlling. And listen, the book goes into all, every person's background, childhood. There's just not time to do all of that. So that's the shh. So the defense has set uh, self-defense brought on by childhood trauma. The trial was set and McKinney, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, right? the trial and, then, and listen, I'm not saying it's not terrible. That mother should not have shushed her daughter who was yeah, upset that she was getting stitches. Insane and random. And like, However, I don't know that that makes you snap like that in de- order to no, ask no. someone 41 times. That's absolutely no. crazy. Okay. Definitely not. So the trial was set in McKinney, Texas, and presided over by Judge Tom Ryan. A Judge Tom Ryan and Candy's lawyer, Don Crowder, they didn't get along. <laughs> there was lots of issues, and Don would shoot off at the mouth in court. So the trial took place in October of 1980. It lasted eight days. Candy was called to the stand, gave her side of the story. Mm-hmm. She told about the shushing. And the theory, how she went under hypnosis, how she snapped, and how at one point during the struggle, she was saying, Betty, Betty, I don't want him anymore. I don't want him anymore. You don't have to do this. And Betty said, shh, I have to kill you. What? (laughs) And that's supposedly, supposedly that's when she snapped, okay? You think she made it up? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if Betty said that or not. So, Alan also testifies. And weirdly, his testimony is positive in Candy's favor. What? He actually says, like, what a good mom and person she is. And that he definitely doesn't think she would ever do this on purpose without having had something, like, have to self-defend. Are you kidding me? No. It was That's, very weird. He's just totally in He was it. called by the prosecution, ended up being, like, positives in Candy's favor. Wow, that's crazy. What a shitty guy. He is. Guess what? Also, during this time, okay, so all this happened, what? We said June 13th, 1979. Mm-hmm. The trial took place in October of 1980, so, like, a year later, right? Alan started dating a lady that lives down the street yeah, named sure he was having multiple affairs. Elaine Clift. Okay, they dated, and he ended up marrying her after the trial was over. He his wife was murdered, and he married somebody else within that year. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. On to the next, you know. Mm mm. What an idiot. Yeah. On October thirtieth, nineteen eighty, a jury of nine women and three men found Kenny Montgomery not guilty. Insane. Insane. Absolutely bonkers that she wasn't at least charged with something. Something. It wasn't just like, oh, I had, okay, for example, 
I got, I had it self-defend. I happen to have, I don't know, a gun with me and I shoot just well, trying to self-defend. She had an axe and hit her with it 41 times. Not only that, but she left her child there to just cry and, exactly. you know, so sad. But in this community, Candy Montgomery had been extremely well-liked, and Betty had not. Well? Betty was not well-liked. She was the very strict, mean teacher. She was kind of odd. She didn't socialize a lot. Um, doesn't mean the earth. Exactly. <laughs> That's crazy. It, it's very odd. So, she's found not guilty. Every, I mean, I guess not everybody was stunned. I don't know. I would have been stunned if I was in the court. Yeah. So, what happens after? Candy, Pat, and their daughters move away from Texas. They stayed married for an additional four years, then eventually divorced. Candy ultimately changed her name, moved to Georgia, and became a mental health counselor. Which, that blows my mind. I can't even, like... Do you think she talks about it still? No, it's so crazy. I would love for someone to go and go to her and see like how she is. Yes. Anybody like in Georgia? Anybody in Georgia? It would be awesome if you could go find Candy, let her be your mental health counselor for a little bit and then let us know how it goes cuz I think that, that is absolutely bonkers. Yeah, insane. I can't I mm. can't Alan and Elaine, like I said, got married. Eventually, they divorced as well. He ended up losing custody of his daughters to Betty's parents. At one point, the girls actually physically left their father's house and claimed that Alan and Elaine just neglected them all the time. Like, they were not doing a good job parenting. So, Betty's sweet, sweet parents took over raising the girls. Mm-hmm. And from what I can find, I've there's lots of different stories, but uh, Alan didn't really fight it. What? He just gave up his kids and just like... Yeah. Wow, that's tragic. Do you think him and Candy still talk ever? (laughs) I would love to know. I don't know. I have no clue, but that would be real icky if they did. So I didn't like it. I don't like the ending to that. that, Bless their hearts. It's terrible. You'd think something like that would bring them closer together and they just... Like as a dad, but yeah, he just, just couldn't do it. I can't do. I can't take care of the d- girls. I got to marry somebody else I gotta marry right somebody away. Else. Right away. I can't take care of you, but I can. I can marry this marry lady, this and then lady. she can take care of you. Yes, exactly. Oh my god! Shut Crazy. up, Alan. Yeah, shut up, Alan. Candy, wherever you are. I just. I don't know. I don't buy it. I don't Me buy it. Me either. All right, Chloe. So very quickly, I just wanted to have a palate cleanser. And talk about Vanderpump Rules really quick. I sent you a video. Chloe, Chloe's not an avid watcher of Vanderpump, but, but she this, does know the everybody story. Everybody knows this. We like, all know the story of our precious, beautiful Angel. queen, Angel Ariana, and Tom Sandoval have been dating for nine years. Which is bananas, yeah. And he's always tried to put himself off as just such a good guy. And then it has obviously come out during this season that he and uh, Rachel have been having an affair, obviously behind her, her back, Ariana's back. And what is really bad is an affair in and of itself is terrible, but an affair, an affair that you are having with your best friend's 
boyfriend, basically, basically, basically common law marriage, right? Yeah, exactly. And then continue to remain best friends with her and then also talk with her about her issues with Tom. Insane. It is just diabolical Insane. and disgusting. I watched the episode this week and I was literally having heart palpitations. Oh, I was yeah. so angry. And then this week's finale is coming up and then I sent Chloe the video for the uh, tell-all. So mm. we're going to have to just talk about that as right. it comes up. I mean, it's disgusting. Yeah. I'm sure we all hate Tom Sandoval now, yeah, right? And he's still him. out there doing a stupid cover band. It's so dumb. Screw him. Just how old are He's 40. He's almost my age. I am 44 years old. He's 40. This man is out there having affairs, being a little biatch. I don't like him. I don't like Tom Schwartz anymore. He sucks. He tries to come off of this like little baby. No, you're not. You're just as bad because you knew, I guarantee you all along that they were having an affair. And I'm just sure trying they, to act yeah, like everybody's no, friends. Sure. They all suck. Anyway, I can't I can't wait to see how it plays out because it's just so good. Yeah. When is the like talk wait, did that already happen? No. So That's this coming week up, coming right? up on Wednesday, I believe it's Wednesday nights, is the finale. Then the next week starts the three part tell all. We'll be watching that. Probably sure. it's gonna be one of the best tell alls ever. Ever. In history. In history. So we're going to be talking about it. Absolutely. So, Chloe, tell them where they can find you on social media. Uh, you can follow my Instagram, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, it's Chloe Diana. Okay. I think that's the only one I'd like to share for now. You don't have to share your other Instagrams with people. Well, I don't yeah. have other Instagrams. I meant, like, my only social media. Oh, okay. Oh, your <laughs> other so Because <laughs> I'm old and I only have one. All right. And the Instagram for our show is True Crime Family Time. Please give us a follow. And if you're listening, we will try to put episodes out once a week for right now. And I have some other ideas moving forward. But as of right Very now, exciting. super excited to just be starting back and have a good case for you again yes. next week. So excited to be back. Yes, absolutely. We're going to make it work this time, We're going to make it work. And Chloe, thank you for recording with me today on of Mother's course, Day. Of course. Of course. I love you. All right. Happy Until Day. next time, y'all stay safe. Bye. Bye.